0: I don't think that a customer is actually thinking in, I want to do an online purchase journey. I think customers think more about, I want to do a journey which is convenient to me. And and I want to do something where maybe I have the transparency and I can, I can uh, look for the best prices. But it doesn't have to be online. Online is, of course, a natural channel to start it and to engage with. But I don't think there's any any requirement that everything should be or has to be online.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of CX Insider. Today Adam and I talk to Danielle Haas, Senior Manager of Digital Experience at Toyota Motor Europe. We will talk about things like the online-only demand, if there is any, or is it a myth, about the future role of car dealerships and way more, so stay tuned and don't forget to comment, share, like or follow the podcast on your preferred channel. As mentioned before, Daniel is a senior manager of digital experience at Toyota. He is based in Brussels and comes from a lovely medieval town in southwestern Germany called Heidelberg. However, unlike most people, Daniel has a very close connection to Toyota, and that is that when he was 10 years old, his family moved to Japan. As you know, Europe and Japan have massive cultural differences, and these differences also reflect on the customer experience.
0: I, um, I grew up in a little village in, in Germany near Heidelberg, but then at the age of ten, uh, I moved to Japan because my 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 father was working there. And it, it, I mean, at that age, everything which I experienced in Japan seems quite natural to me. That was like the normal uh, for me, right? And uh, I, I very much like this Japanese mindset, the way they. Um, think and interact and the way they, they they position themselves. They think less of themselves as an individual. They, they often see themselves as part of a collective. And that was very, very common for me. And you see this if you're in Japan uh, and uh, or if you see images of the rush hour in Tokyo in the morning, how disciplined they are and how respectful they are for the other people. Even though there are millions of people commuting, but there's no pushing. There's everyone stands in a line and they all follow the instructions. And that's the way they, they manage to live together very well. And that's, that's, that's really, I think it represents their, their way of thinking. Also, when they're, when somebody's sick, they always immediately wear a mask, not to protect themselves, but to protect the others. And, and I always saw that this one also translates them into a kind of a service mindset, right? So that been. Japan, when you go to a gas station and you your car filled up, there's always somebody then jumping out and blocking the traffic and making sure that you can get without a problem on the street and then they're Boeing until you leave. And this is a bit like the, uh, the way like each individual pays their attributes to service. Also, when you give a business card, you give it with two hands and you take it with two hands to show the respect. And then, of course, I moved back to Germany when I, when I was 19 I to go to university. And that was the first time I was really confronted with the German culture in in such a way. Holidays, I think it doesn't count, but if you really live there, it's always a bit different. And and um, and I think it's it's there are a lot of things which are quite similar, right? I think uh, like focus on quality, being precise, respectful. I think this is all similar, but in the execution, it is very different. And especially when translating to this one into something as kind of a service mindset because in there, I think that is where like German culture sometimes can really fail. And there's, there's one thing I experienced and that was when I, I just arrived and then I had to go to university and I had to subscribe to my courses and I had to register at the university office. And I arrived 10 minutes before closing time. And the person in there saw me coming. He closed the booth and says, "Too late. I want to go for lunch. Bye bye," and he left. And that was for me such a shock. How about how you can like react and how you can say this? <laughs> because I never experienced anything like this uh, even before. And uh, you can argue, well, this is just administration. It's it's not really uh, customer service required. A uh, university is not going to be better or worse if that person is really uh, more engaged or not. But uh, but this is where the difference comes in, and this is where I think. Japanese culture has, like, a really embedded service mindset. And just to give an example, which is very similar to this one of about administration, it is when I uh, was in Japan as a foreigner, I needed a a registration card. And in Japan, uh, it is called alien registration card, uh, which uh, a lot of foreigners do not appreciate so much. But then even when it uh, works, there are two kinds of people who need to put a fingerprint on this card. And these are criminals and foreigners. So there was, at that time, a lot of debate about how disrespectful this is, but the Japanese government, they said, no, we're not going to change these rules. But the people dealing with it, they didn't feel so comfortable also confronting the foreigners with this because it's a really pain point, a real pain point in the experience they go through. And I still remember this moment when I was at the ward office to get my new registration card, and the person welcoming me, he prepared everything, I had to sign everything, and then he, in a very apologetic manner, told me, yes, and here you have to do your fingerprint, and then he gave me, with both hands, a wet towel, like the one of towels you get in a restaurant when you wash your hands or your face, to clean my finger, and then uh, um, uh, he thanked me for everything. So he tried to make his utmost best in order to make the experience as good as possible for me, even though there's no immediate benefit for that person, it's just as a contribution to uh, to the overall experience and it's it's really a mindset and this is what i always uh, appreciated or saw as a key difference between the cultures i experienced
1: a lot of marketers are talking about the importance of delivering beyond perfect experiences or exceptional experiences memorable experiences but less people tell you how exactly to do it and it might sound a bit easier talking about delivering memorable experiences in the entertainment industry but The automotive industry where a large proportion of the customer journey happens online is trickier.
0: No, this is, of course, uh, uh, always a a big task and a big challenge. But first, maybe let's let's look at what we really mean by memorable experience and why this is important. I mean, I think it's easy to agree that memorable is probably there to generate advocates, to generate promoters, because they... They buy more, they negotiate less, and they they recommend also um, uh, other uh, new customers. So from that point of view, it's very important. But if you also think about memory, I think in many things, especially when it comes to online, we don't need memory. I think a lot of items you want to do online, you just want to get the task done. So if you want to book a transaction, if you want to book a train ticket, uh, reserve a flight, or, or, or check your mobile banking app, there is nothing you need on memory. You just need to... Make sure that this thing works, and <laughs> that's enough. And then you're happy, right? But uh, uh, in uh, and, and if if then a company tries to exaggerate this, also I think it would more have a negative impact rather than a good one. But anyway, but if you then talk about what is really memorable and, and how do you get there, it is about delivering something which you remember. So it must be something which is a bit standing out, right? And I don't know if you remember, well, what are the memory experiences you would have in mind that you remember? And if you think back, so what, what is always special about this? And, and, and I, I like to use the example of hotels. In, in, If you travel a lot for business, stay a lot of hotels, and then many people stay always in five-star hotels. And I'm sure the experience is always great. But does it make you remember? Probably not, right? Uh, if you remember something, it's normally if there's something which goes beyond the expectation, something out of the normal, right? And I think this is what is um, quite important to keep in mind. And uh, then the question is, how do you get something, an experience, which is outside of the normal, something which is not expected? And when I joined many years ago at Lexus, because Lexus is founded basically on, on two principles. It's having a great product and offering a great experience. I had a discussion with a, a dealer who said, I'm providing a very good experience, very memorable. And he told me what he's doing. And then he said, well, when the customer comes for a test drive, I give him chocolate. I give him a packet of chocolate to take home. And, said, and then next, and say, next, oh, and when he buys the car, he gets a champagne, a, a bottle of champagne with the car. And then when it's the birthday of the customer, they get flowers. So is this really memorable? I mean, customers are not stupid. They know who's paying for this. And it's really kind of trying to cheat your way out by by buying, basically, this memory experience. So it must be something else that you really then deliver. And in order to get there, maybe it's best to break down what actually are the different steps to get to memory. Because we always look at experience in three parts. One is delivering a random experience. Random is, could be great, could be a disaster. It's depending on the visual. There are no processes in place, no common execution. And this is something I think no company really wants to be there because it's, it's going to be, it's a, it's a big vulnerability or you're very vulnerable to the experience you provide to the customers. Then the second step is being predictable. So make sure you have clear process in place, consistent execution. And this does, of course, not mean that you're memorable, but at least you're sure that Across your whole business, the customer can expect something and gets it. And based on this one, then you can look at what is actually memorable and where do you stand out. And that should not be everywhere. That should be just specific touch points or which are really critical, specific moments of truth which are really uh, critical. By just, I think, clicking through a website, you would never expect anything memorable, right? It has to be something where the human is actually um, – interacting, where the the human is is, is playing a role, where it goes beyond the the normal. And so then the question is, is it then something which is then not plannable or which has to be based on the individual's understanding and mindset? Well, I also don't think that's only the case. So you can engineer a lot of things. For example, uh, if you uh, we know that the pain points of a customer, if you look at the customer journey, are in automotive often the whole element of maintenance, of service. You don't know what they do to the car. You don't know if they tell you the truth, if, if, if the job is done rightly. But if you engineer into the process or into the journey that, for example, the service advisor or the, the, the service technician who's doing the job comes to the customer and explains what he or she has done and, 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 and provides that insight and even shows it creates a lot of confidence and it creates trust and it creates an experience which is something customers like to speak about and talk about and share about, right? So, there you can engineer some moments which are memorable. But then the others, of course, if it's always on the visual, you cannot. But, but, uh, when and I, I give you an example, when uh, I, I worked with our uh, Austrian Lexus team, uh, they had a story about, uh, customer who was very difficult, who ordered our top model of Lexus, very expensive car, but there were delays in the delivery because of certain reasons, and the customers were getting very angry and very unpleasant. He was complaining and sending letters, and uh, nobody really wanted to deal with that person because it was getting a bit uh, uncomfortable and, and pleasing that customer. So the, a young guy in the dealership, he got a task to then do the final delivery of the car, and he prepared for this one by looking at who is it really I'm dealing with, and he found out this customer in his young uh, years he, in the 60s he was a big led zeppelin fan so he bought a led zeppelin cd he re- welcomed the customer explained everything went through all the paperwork make sure that everything is clear and then told the customer when he was ready to drive off once you're on the highway switch on your uh, cd player and listen to the music there's a little surprise for you and then the customer was so overwhelmed when he experienced this and he thanked everyone and he wrote letters and to say how great it was so these are the little things you cannot engineer it's up to the individual to take the initiative and to uh, the responsibility uh in order to uh, to to uh, to drive this to do something which is outside of the normal
1: the first CX challenge that is spreading across all industries is the online-only demand. And when it comes to high-involvement products, there are people who buy properties without ever visiting them or buy cars and complete the entire, uh, the entire purchase journey online. And those are extremes. So before diving into the first challenge, Adam and I wanted to ask Danielle where exactly this online-only demand is standing in the automotive industry.
0: Customers, of course, are more and more relying on the online channel. This is true in addition, the digital channels to get this information. And uh, there's also a lot of uh, competition out there who tries to to, to steal the customers uh, uh, from 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 dealing with a car manufacturer. There are a lot of third parties who are there as middlemen in order to interact and to in to engage and to get uh, uh, then the business away uh, because. They're, it's nowadays in digital so easy to, to, to engage. But I don't think that a customer is actually thinking in, I want to do an online purchase journey. I think customers think more about, I want to do a journey which is convenient to me. And, uh, and I want to do something where maybe I have the transparency and I can, I can uh, look for the best prices but it doesn't have to be online. Online is, of course, a natural channel to start it and to engage with, but I don't think there's any, any requirement that everything should be or has to be online. It's just a, a battlefield where you have to be active and you have to be also very careful because it's to protect your, your business and to make sure that nobody get, escapes. And um, so it's, it's, it's important to provide the customers with the right information and engage with them at the right moment of time and through the right channel at the right moment of time, right? And um, I think when I'm talking automotive and talking about on and only, we look a little bit about the, the transaction in the end, about e-commerce. But the e-commerce is just, the transaction is just the last step, or it's one small step in the whole, whole journey which has to be designed and how companies have to prepare in order to deliver this, this, this e-commerce or the, the online uh, experience. So it's important to look at the complete customer journey end-to-end to make sure that you map it out and you look at what are the pain points of the customers, what are the needs of the customers, uh, what are the uh, what kind of information uh, is required and what are the emotions they go through and then look at what needs to be delivered in these touch points in which channel in order to uh, uh, ensure that the, the, the customer's demands are fulfilled and um, that the relevant... Um, information is provided.
1: According to a survey published by Statista, 63% of recent car buyers are open to buy a car online, and that research was conducted by the end of 2020. Another survey also published by Statista says that 82% of people who intend to buy a car in the UK consider a personal touch point with the dealer to be essential. That means that somewhere between conducting an extensive online research on the car and buying the car online, there is this one moment where the customer desires to talk to the dealer and probably get more information on the car or reassurance or whatever they don't know. That is the moment of truth. So Adam and I wonder, what's the dealer's role in today's environment?
0: Well, no, I think it's, it is a big challenge and it's a big shift in the role. I mean, if you look at what you just explained in the several years ago, an average customer who wanted to buy a car visited seven dealerships or even more. Nowadays it's between one and two. So by the time you come to the dealership, basically you're ready to buy. So the dealers have to be aware before it was basically leads coming in. And then uh, the, the whole process started, but customers come in very educated because they have probably managed to collect most of the information already online or through different uh, different different channels. So when they come to a dealership, they still have questions, but these are often very specific questions, then, right? Uh, which they couldn't get the information from uh, from online. So the dealers have to be prepared for this, and they need to to uh, to be able to have this insight. So. Sometimes it's like more the role of a product genius you have to play rather than a general salesperson to try to explain you what the lineup is, right? And then, of course, they come up in order to get the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the items you cannot experience online, right? seeing the car in real, touching it, smelling it, right? Driving it. These are the things where a dealership has a, has a big role uh, to, to, to play. And, I believe as much as we are often trying to rationalize our purchase in the end, buying a car is a very emotional thing. And I think people are driven by emotions and it's the role of the dealer in order to create these emotions or push for these emotions. I think there's so much you can do online to create emotion. (laughs) But from a person to person, I think there's much more the dealer can do based on also the personality and the customer. Right, we can we can generate because in an online world we always have then personas and then personalization. And we know these kind of people who do this behavior. Maybe we can well, bring that information, but it's still different in a in a in a one to one exchange and to create this wow effect or to to build on these emotions. That's a big task. And maybe I give you an example. So, you know. Of course, at Toyota, we, uh, we are very strong on electrification, especially in terms of hybrid. The hybrid is a very complicated technology, very difficult to explain. And I think it's very similar also, if you talk about EV, it's also a new technology new to explain to customers. And there are some things which are very factual, range, uh, capacity, uh, speed, right? These are things which, which then you can tick off, but you, you can find this information anywhere and you have a ticket. But what's the real value of driving this? Right, the silence when driving, less hassle for maintenance. You don't have to go to a filthy uh, gas station. You can charge it at home. The the connected features which really make your life uh, better. The environmental statement you make when you drive up uh, the uh, the road uh, the driveway, right? The acceleration in traffic uh, when you, in front of a traffic light when it goes green, which is much better an electric or hybrid car and, and a gasoline car. And these are the things. The dealer can bring forward and really show and demonstrate the cars and build on these emotions. And so it's really important to adapt on this. And, and every customer is different. For some, this might be important for the other, and it's important to tailor this, right? And this it's only a human who can do it, and I, I believe it's it's very important. I think the, the role of the dealer in, in the real life, and I I because I, I personally had an experience with a bike. And, and and there something came to me, it became clear to me how important it is. To, to have actually uh, like a, a retailer a dealer a motor and brick dealer whatever helping you because I, I, I bought a, I wanted to buy an electric bike and I did my research online and I, I found this company had a fantastic design good price looked great super website. Uh, really excellent right everything easy to do and they didn't have a presence in Brussels but no problem I can order online they deliver everything worked fine they were friendly in in, in the email communication and chatting and then I got my bike delivered and the the, the front wheel was damaged so no problem they sent me another front wheel I could change it and then after uh, a few days of riding there was a problem with the gearbox no problem they sent me a, a replacement gearbox which, But then I couldn't install myself, so I had to go to a, to a, a bike shop. I said, no problem, we will pay for the bike shop. Uh, but then try to find a bike shop repairing electric bike of another branch where you have never bought a bike from, and who will do it, and who have time, and so on. So all of a sudden, things became very complicated and became really ha- a real hassle in order to deal with it. And there I realized how much easier and more practical it would be just to have this company with a dealer somewhere where I can go and then I have peace of mind. I have somebody taking care of it, making sure it's all right. And a bike is so, such a simple product compared to a car. So I, I think it's sometimes over, it would be overambitious to say, yeah, it's yeah, okay. We don't need the dealerships anymore because the, the, the business can be managed also.
1: The increase of online-only demand questions the future of car dealerships because the number of cars being distributed in car dealerships is a huge cost driver. So. We're not talking about closing these dealerships, but rather how will these places transform? So there might be few cars with advanced VR technology, enabling customers to customize the car they see in front of them, or there might be a concept of hyper dealerships.
0: I think this is. uh, I think everyone who's working in network probably has this as a key task in front of them to uh, to enhance the, the showroom and to utilize these. To, to better integrate it into the digital world. Uh, because traditionally, of course, the, the role of the show was different. People were informed about the cars. You were showing them around. But now digital tools are much more available. And, and uh, you can have screens, demos. Uh, you can mock up cars. You can even use uh, uh, 3D simulations on your app or mobile phone, maybe show accessories on the cars. But these are all technology gimmicks, which, of course, help the experience. But it is not always so straightforward to implement it on a broad scale to dealers, because the digital maturity of dealers varies very much between the different businesses uh, we are in, and and we experienced many years ago when we did like the first wave of things that in many it was failing because the Wi-Fi was not strong enough and and not really uh, up to date and they didn't know how to what to do if it was falling it was failing or not delivering. So so that, that this uh, this competency. Uh, is just building up and so you, you have to have this basic in place in order to build on it. But I think there will be a lot of changes coming and if you look at uh, all the big system providers, they're all having these these uh, uh, digital showroom uh, tools uh, uh, or digital signage uh, tools as part of their offering, which enables really to enhance uh, the, the dealership experience. And uh, I think there will still a lot of change be coming, but it's not so... Uh, super easy to implement because you have so many parties, right? If you have two and a half thousand dealers or three thousand dealers in Europe to get them all to the same standard in order to execute this and, and to use it in the right way, that it, it requires a lot of uh, training and, and education and
1: Innovation management gets more difficult with the complexity of the business ecosystem. And looking at it from the perspective of the manufacturers, there are so many entities involved in the process. It made us wonder: what exactly are the underlying issues that make the innovation all the more challenging? Is it the customer data? Is it legacy systems?
0: I think, I mean, the car, the car business uh, said before, right? It's it, it becomes quite. Complex and there are a lot of stakeholders involved. Right, you have not only the head office, then the regional offices, then the national distributors, then retailers. You also have the finance company, then you have insurance companies, and so they're all somehow involved in uh, delivering the product or the combination of products then to the customer. Right, and and these the way they play together is quite well established. Right, that there, there are clear roles and responsibilities, there are processes. Their agreements, their contractual agreements, also contract signed or whatever between these, but how this is um, working. So, if you want to now come with innovation and change, and you want to disruptive, of course, by definition already it's going to be difficult because uh, there is something which is working, established, and uh, it needs to be uh, it, it, it needs to be changed, right? So, and especially dealers often get nervous if they hear ooh, 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 digital innovation. All of a sudden, the manufacturer is going to engage with my customers directly while before I was the one who could control it. So they, they are naturally getting often nervous that something is going to be taken away or something is going to happen uh, they, uh, which is going to harm them, which normally should, I think, not be the case. But anyway, but um, uh, I think the critical thing is like if you would like to innovate digitally and engage digitally, there's one thing you need as a basis, which is data. And and this is, first of all, customer data. So about customer data, which, first of all, is correct, which is up to date, which has information about the history, about the products they own, and so on, the interactions, the issues, the requests. But looking at how many entities are dealing with the customers, this data is, of course, spread over all of the different entities. It's in databases here and there, or maybe some people know, uh, by heart because they are dealing with it, right? So, and this, uh, and then to consolidate that data in order to have one basis of truth in order to deal and to leverage on these uh, digital channels, this is, of course, it doesn't only request the customer to explicitly accept that you do this. It also requires all the entities to agree that they share this and they, they put it together in a one, one source of truth, right? And this these are things which are not, it in, in a day or in a week. Yeah? And this yeah, is sure. so really <laughs> a really fundamental thing. That's a pretty big challenge, I guess. Yeah, it's a pretty big challenge because I suppose if you've got, as you said, Daniel, multiple databases, multiple systems, that customer, if their data is in one of the systems incorrectly, it might be out of date. So I suppose that's, that could have really have a kind of detrimental effect to your customer experience, I guess, if it's not all talking yes. together and communicating. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and the interesting thing is, as, as a, as a car manufacturer, you want the customer to see you as one. You know, you want to see, this is the brand I'm dealing with. Uh, in, while in reality, the customer is dealing with your brand, but they're dealing with the sales, with the after sales, with the, uh, the finance and insurance, but you want to have one in person. But the way we see the customer, we see the customer in many different bits and pieces because we have a little bit data here, a little bit data there. And sometimes it's complementary. Sometimes it's overlapping. Sometimes it's contradictory. Uh, 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 and, and, and that makes the whole thing, of course, very difficult in order to, to uh, uh, deliver.
1: Most companies realize that there is a need to innovate digitally, but sometimes the difficult part is to face the resistance internally within the companies. So we ask Daniel about his perspective on driving change and driving this transformation in the company.
0: Most companies, they don't really have a choice. Uh, I think all companies they they need to change, or at some point they will they will lose or disappear or, 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 or really significant harm their business. And there's I mean there are these startup companies entrants, who, who who are focusing on bits and bytes of your business and trying to take it away. If you go to look for use cars, there's so many use car platforms and providers which are all very good. And they are only focusing on digital, so they're excellent while you're in this digital journey to, to 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 pull you away. And you have to compete with them. Your competitor is not anymore the other manufacturer with the dealership next door. Your competitor are these 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 interrupters, right? Uh, it, it could even be platforms like Google, who when you when you start to search, all of a sudden they lead you to an online sales platform of cars available on the Google platform, right? So all of a sudden, uh, customers are like. Uh, uh, approach from all different sides in, 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 throughout their journey, so so it becomes very apparent and um, very important uh, that uh, companies change. And I think most of them uh, are very, uh, very aware of this. And to drive this change uh, then internally, of course, if you have people who are already working in a company for a long time and have a certain way of doing business, naturally, I think this is something which is then. Uh, difficult for them to, to encounter, but not for all of them, for some of them, right? It's, it, it could be then just a natural, uh, resistance. And so often I see that in the beginning, uh, this is issues identified and then the, the, the natural thing is to give it to a team to say, you guys are not responsible for this change. But that's, that's a good beginning, but a team cannot fix the issues which are across the whole company because, uh, it, it, Digital is becoming an integral part of the company, right? And, uh, it is, it is not one apartment alone has to change. It's all the apartments have to change, uh, together. And this is where it, you move from a digital transformation to a business transformation. And it, because it really, uh, uh, changes the way that you are doing business, right? As, uh, as a corporation. And that's really a big task, right? And, um, and, uh, it's not easy for everyone. and you need to have this willingness to change. and it's not enough if one person has it. I think it's the piece who execute it, that, executed that you need to have this willing to change. and also the motivation and and why to change things. and the challenge is, I think often that results are not clear. if you if you if you start to, to to generate new business models or new ways of engaging, it could be that you test out something and it fails. Maybe you offer, uh, customers to to buy use cars online, but nobody does. Then they have to find a why, right? And then maybe you you find other solutions and say maybe it's easier if they just reserve it and then go to the dealer. Ah, maybe it works. Or or, or, or yeah. So so these are the things you have to. Try. So you have to have another way of working, and it, it requires to work more in in minimal viable products to 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 start something, test it, then do the next thing and adjust it. And this agile way of working is different than than many companies are, are used who usually define the end product and then deliver this, right? And, uh, and I think that's, that's one of the terms.
1: That was the end of today's episode, and I hope you found the insights valuable. If you're interested in continuing the conversation with Daniel, feel free to contact him on his LinkedIn. The link is provided in the episode description. And also feel free to chat with us on our main social media channels, LinkedIn and Instagram. And now, rapid fire question time. What's your favorite memory from Japan?
0: My favorite memory from Japan is um, sitting at a Japanese hostel on the Miyajima Island, which is the one where you have outside this famous gate and eating fantastic Japanese food. That's my favorite memory.
1: Hybrid or electric car?
0: Electric. Electric.
1: How will the ban on diesel and petrol vehicles affect Toyota's product lineup?
0: I think it is already affecting it. I think, uh, I mean, you see this uh, enormous shift towards electrification. And I think it's just a trend which is continuous. Like with Toyota and all other manufacturers.
1: My last question. In the future, do you think cars will be sold online only?
0: No. I don't think so. I think there will always be... It depends how much you look into the future but i think there will always be a mix
1: i hope you enjoyed today's episode and if you did please don't forget to like share comment or subscribe to the podcast on your preferred channel and i will see you in two weeks